This is The President's Neck is Missing. Your quasi-intellectual guide through today's modern world with host Rurik Yakel and special guest Neo Guevara. Warning, language, content, listen at your own risk. Here now is Rurik Yakel. Thank you for joining us. I'm Rurik Yakel, your host of The President's Neck is Missing. Uh, before we get going, please send us your comments, concerns, and feedback at presidentsnack at gmail.com. And we're on Instagram and Facebook, and more importantly, on SoundCloud. Love to hear from you, so your comments can be featured on future episodes. Um, so it's been reported that several companies have vaccines on the horizon and slated for a late spring release of 2021. It's a reality that most of us won't be lining up for the first initial shots, perhaps through fear, whether there isn't enough produced. But it got us thinking over here at the President's Neck that it was over a year ago that we used to line up for something far more exciting, movies. So after digging up some data, here's a list of movies slated for the 2021 release. Spiral from the Book of Saw, Godzilla vs. Kong, Infinite, Marvel Studios movie, Final Destination 6, Black Widows, Marvel Studios, Top Gun, Maverick, sequel to Top Gun, Dune, The Suicide Squad, Quiet Place 2, Eternals, Marvel Movie, Halloween Kills, Morbius, Kingsman 3, Ghostbusters Afterlife, West Side Story, The Matrix 4, Wicked, Sing 2, Venom 2, Mortal Kombat, Jungle Cruise, Candyman, Beverly Hills Cop 4, Don't Breathe 2, Babylon, Snake Eyes, G.I. Joe prequel, The Hitman's Wife's Bodyguard, Mission Impossible 7, Deep Water, Cinderella, Fantastic Beast 3, Space Jam 2, Uncharted, Untitled Elvis Presley Project, Sherlock Holmes 3, and Spider-Man 4. Now, this list seems like any other particular year. Large studio franchises driving their large, robust machines through our local multiplex theaters every summer, like Paul Walker driving on a hot summer day. But while the theaters struggle to reopen amid the largest global pandemic of the modern era, much like Paul Walker, studios are facing this challenge head-on. Studios are dealing with the hard realities that the movie culture as we know it is gone and may never return. These bloated $250 million projects can be on the horizon as the only way to generate return and a healthy profit is to generate an audience size to accompany it. Delaying a movie costs, and in particular, some movies like the new James Bond film, No Time to Die, cost so much it could kill the studio MGM. The price point that they would have to sell it for streaming is too high that Netflix and Amazon killed negotiations. Films like this get made, like most films, through bank loans, and they hope to pay off those loans through obvious theater releases. It's reported that MGM is just paying $1 million a month just on the interest of this film that's been delayed over a year now. Our own Neil Guevara from the Four Seasons Total Landscaping in Philadelphia joins us. How are you doing today, Neil? I'm doing fantastic, Rurik. How are you? Awesome, man. Um, what uh, what was interesting to you about the list of films? Uh, seems to be like uh, every list like this over the last two decades or so. <laughs> yeah, so just remakes, uh, prequels, sequels, video games into films, um, no originality. That's pretty much what I heard. Although I will say, in reference to Candyman, out of all of those films, that's that's one that for me, I'm at least intrigued and and the reason for that is, is that um, they're not doing it as I initially I thought it was going to be a remake, but it's actually a direct sequel to the first one. And they're bringing back 
um, characters and the same uh, the same actors who are portraying those characters in the first film. And the premise of it, I really, really liked. So that one I'm intrigued by. But at, at, the, at the same time, at the same time, you know, I, I know in the past not to get excited because when I have expectations for these films, I always end up getting horribly disappointed. People take on these huge shoes to fill and uh, they always come up short. And, and um, you know, I try not to have a bias about it, but it just ends up being, you know, you can't, there's certain things you just can't redo. You know what I'm saying? Like you can't take a blockbuster and try and reproduce a work that had so many greats behind it, whether it be a, a director like Spielberg accompanied by an actor like De Niro, you can't replace these people. They're too iconic and their style is too prevalent. So why not remake, uh, you know, shit films? You know, that would be an idea, eh? Right. Like, uh, I mean, I, I'm kind of the same as you. First of all, out of that list, I, I'm, I'm the same. I'm not suggesting that there aren't films there that might be intriguing. Um, I think everybody for the, you know, the, since the uh, since 84 have been waiting for uh, a Ghostbusters uh, legit sequel uh, featuring the, you know, the original uh, characters outside of uh, Ivan Reitman. Um, but his son is helming the film. Uh, it's being directed and produced and written um, by his son as an homage to, you know, uh, what the what those uh, gentlemen started back in the 80s. So I, I totally can appreciate. But, you know, it's interesting a long time ago for me, you know, I remember when Marvel started off on this grand, grand idea uh, back in 2008 when Iron Man came out that they were going to do something that DC films failed to do, which is generate this larger, larger universe. And they've, they've done that better than any other, you know, superhero franchise or studio that could manage it. They, they, you know, they took an idea and they had a, a very complex and over umbrella of what they were going for a large storyline. But, uh, but they also did something that, um, you know, that DC uh, hasn't done. And, and, and that is bore, bore us to death now. Uh, I, I, I'm like after the, this Avengers end game, um, and all watching all these actors and, and I use that term really loosely right now, they're all, they're all green screened and I've seen this before after end game, I don't really have interest anymore into where, where these characters are going. Half of them died, but it's, I guess it's kind of, when I look at all of this list, it's, it's pathetic. And it's pathetic in the sense that everything that they're remaking or redoing is movies from our generation. I, that's, I was born in 74 and we're, we're like, I mean, it's in the last 20 years, we've had RoboCop, we've had Total Recall. There, there's, there's nothing here that indicates that basically that there's any ingenuity left and, and everything is from TV shows from the past. Um, I mean, we've seen that time and time again, get, get smart. We see all these. Well, and, see, I, I, and the question I want to know is, is Hollywood dead? Well, see, and, and part of the reason that you just mentioned is, is that the people who are helming films and writing and directing now are the people in your generation and in my generation who are, um, who grew up loving the same shit that you and I love, which are all these classic cult classic films. We love RoboCop, um, you know, all these awesome cartoons from back in the day that ended up becoming films or films that ended up becoming cartoons. You know what I mean? Like these are all um, homage pieces that people in, from our generation who are now involved in the industry are going like, man, you know what? I'd really like to see. Imagine if we could like do RoboCop this way. But here's the problem. You've 
like I, I get where you're coming from. Like these are these are things that yeah, we kinda wanna like, you know, relive again and again and and, and try and triumph bigger and better somehow. But and, and if you want to do that, you have to be you have to, ha- you know, have ingenuity in, in creating a storyline that's going to recapture the audiences who've already been down this road so many fucking times. How many Terminators do we have to go through before someone goes, right. hey, you know what? This is a dead horse, man. Like it's it's gone. It's over. We cannot make the timeline. We cannot make the storyline make any more sense. Um, you know, like I'll say that the third storyline was actually really, really well done if the movie hadn't have been complete and utter trash. And I think, you know, and I think part of my problem is, is that when they do take on these, they, you know, they're going to do a reboot, you're going to do a remake. Um, what I really hate about it is nobody's daring anymore and, and, and they're playing it safe and they want to listen to the vocalized that the public, they, the fanboys, and they, and they all want to just follow and, and toe a line of, I mean, nobody's willing to take a risk and nobody's willing to go and take a concept from an already done movie and go, let's, let's pull the rug out from underneath all these jackholes. Let's show everybody that we, we're going to take this initial concept and we're going to throw a whole new spin on how we view this, this franchise. Nobody does that. They go, it's status quo and it's boring. And, and I'm going to use one movie as an example for what I'm talking about and of how, how much, an era plays a part into a film. And what that is RoboCop. It came out in 87 and it was really in one of the the final, the final films of the, of the cold war era, you know um, it it had a lot of a political and and really dark humor about, uh, you know, nuclear war had a lot of how marketing and advertising was part of just even our, our news culture and you to recapture that into, you know, 2000 when in 2010, whenever it came out, it's just not the same movie and, and it doesn't have the same heaviness and satire behind it. it. It's, it's quite a boring, boring film. Yeah. That one, that one came out in 2014 and it was, yeah, it's lackluster. So, so going back to what you were saying about no one's being daring and they're playing into um, you know, the, the demographic that's going, yeah, we want to see more of this. Um, so they're taking poll information and audience reaction and all those analytics. And then they're, they're using that as the formulaic template to go ahead and produce movies, which is why you're getting bored. There's nothing left to discover because essentially all the action sequences are the same CGI action sequences you've seen a dozen times over and over again. I will say though, um, and, and, and maybe I'm, I'm giving this film too much regard in some people's, um, you know, perspectives, but I could give a fuck. This is my perspective. Um, the Joker, the Joker was a film that took a completely different spin on how that character develops into what he becomes. And he create he did create a whole new universe mm-hmm. of, of, of the Joker and the Batman, especially with, um, and you know, people will be like, oh, well, no, he, he was, deli- he, it was delirium about, um, you know, him being related to Wayne. But then at the end of the film, we see the, we see the signature on the back of the photograph, which confirms that yes, there was definitely something going on between his mother and Mr. Wayne. So we have this whole new premise of, oh my God, Batman and Joker who are going to be arch nemesis are also fucking half brothers. That is 
super cool to me. You know what I mean? So for that, you're, you're right. For, for, for everything else, I haven't seen anyone try and take on anything and give it a new premise and give it a new birth and rebirth it into, uh, okay, we're going to take these characters, but we have the freedom to do things with these characters. Like their origins can actually be different from what we know them. Right. 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 And, 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 and for the most part, we're not getting that we're getting people who are literally playing to all the audience polling, you know what I mean? But guys like you and I aren't in those polls. And a lot of people who are, who are cinephiles aren't the ones who are in those polls because they wouldn't really even be voting for a Marvel film in the first place. And that's not to shoot shit right. at it, but that's just, that's just a fact. I mean, you said it before with these actors using the term loosely, what are you getting in front of a green screen versus well, that's a, it really you know. what we're essentially watching is the equivalent of what I say is a Bugs Bunny cartoon. Um, you're getting actors and I, and I'm kind of confused by this, I guess, you know, we've proven that, you know, we're now just rendering faces on large pieces of animation. So, um, you know, from let's just use Josh Brolin um, inside uh, for Endgame. Um, and then we also had, you know, they use Mark Ruffalo for the Incredible Hulk in these Avenger movies. And I mean, none of these like Robert Downey Jr. is not in an Iron Man outfit. Uh, this is all stuff that's, you know, it, um, you know, digitally added later, animated in. And, you know, kind of reminds me of the old, uh, you know, the joke about, you know, Green Lantern, the Ryan Reynolds movie where they literally CGI his his suit on. Um, but that's all this shit is when you see Spider-Man swinging around. All of it's animated and and knowing that nowadays and I'm comparing it to things like, you know, uh, the super, Superman from the 70s with Christopher Reeve and and even, you know, Michael Keaton in Batman. I mean, he had to wear a fucking latex suit and fucking try to swing his head he around. Turn his head, yeah. it, exactly. And I guess what my what's annoying is from whether it's Fast and the Furious movies or it's the superhero movies or Star Wars is that. There's no actual like what we're watching is just animation now. And and I'm, I'm kind of at that point where I'm really quite a tapped out of all of this. It, 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 do you find it hard uh, nowadays to even find it like is any are movies engaging you the way they used to? Have you ever walked in a movie in the last like 10 years and like an action movie, a blockbuster and went, wow, like that that was different than anything I've ever seen. There, 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 there's been a couple like I could name them all like that's how right. like if you're giving me a decade I could literally whittle it down to like three and four of them you know what I right. mean right um and, and and those ones were ones just because they were daring like and and you know call it what you will but hardcore Henry was a great example of someone going like beyond a conventional uh approach to making a film yeah and yeah, of course. And, and 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 I don't care what anyone says about oh shaky I couldn't watch it it's like it was still infinitely better than any born ultimatum fight scene or any you know any of those ridiculous chop cut fast edit you know fight scenes that you see in an espionage movie nowadays these are people wearing gopros doing incredible parkour stunts like it was you know it was very limited cgi what was happening in that versus what they were actually doing on scene and on location and and all and doing it all pov so you know there's one as an example but right. i mean we're, we're talking like how many films come out within a decade and right. I hundreds, that, hundreds right 
Totally. And, 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 you know, and like, there's, there's just been, there's, there's a couple of films that, you know, they stand out, but then, you know, they fade away, you know, as, as time goes on. But that was one for me that it was super enjoyable right from there, opening credits. I was like, okay, this has got and my attention. And, you know? and, you know, once in a blue moon, maybe every five years, you're going to get that movie that uh, generates um, some uniqueness and some buzz and probably, and, and most uh, commonly it's because of the special effects that they found that they're going to be using that is new to, you know, studio audiences. And so like, you know, things like the matrix, when that came out, you know, that was a, Avatar. Right. Exactly. Now, everything to me, though, has all the indications that there's nowhere left for Hollywood to go. Um, To me, it seems that we're just heading down further and further into basically large, large tent franchises yet again, using same old actors and rejuvenating things from the seventies and eighties and even the nineties. And I'm wondering how come, why are they trying to capture these today? Uh, There was uh, rumors um, and speculation that uh, Tom Holland, and he confirmed this, he was in talks to uh, reboot uh, the uh, back to the future uh, franchise. Um, Great Scott. (laughs) I, I, I just, there's nothing left for them to tap into um, and and draw from this well. No, you're right. And again, that's an, a classic example of, okay, so here, um, I'm just going to spew off a couple of things really quick to just paint a picture of, of what, what you can and can't do by comparison. Um, you can't have a, a mogul like Arnold Schwarzenegger do a film like Conan the Barbarian and then replace him with Jason Momoa, a, a model from Hawaii. You cannot have a film like Total Recall, which is like balls to the wall, RoboCop-esque with its gore and depiction of violence and even satire within its community of future premise. Um, you can't have him be the protagonist and then replace him with Colin Farrell. Um, there's, you can't replace Michael J. Fox with anyone. You just, you can't do these things. And here's why they've already created the huge following that has given you the idea to try and redo it. If it wasn't already something that was huge and epic and monumental and an extravaganza piece for its era, which speaks to its era that it is from, you wouldn't be attempting to fucking remake it. And the problem with that is that's like you looking at a Van Gogh painting and going, you know what? I like this painting, but I could do it a little bit better if I just did this, this, and this. And then anyone looking at that Van Gogh painting after you've added your little, you know, standing on the shoulders, two cents to it, they're going to look at it and go, that's a shitty fucking painting because you're not Van Gogh and you can't add to a Van Gogh. You can't put your style on top of a style and think that you've well, created something. And, and, and I totally agree. And I look at this, I like in much to what you said at the start, I don't know why they're trying to attempt movies that already worked. There are, there are plenty of movies out there um, that, you know, that uh, they had good vision and good ideas for and good intentions and it never delivered probably because maybe writing, maybe there's a, you know, directing issues, maybe just poor casting. Why aren't we like, if they're going to remake something, why aren't they just starting there? there there's totally. a lot, there's a, there's a lot more failures than there are success stories. That That's what I mean. We, we've got, I mean, we, this is, this is what I find kind of crazy is that 
um, when it comes to cult classics, they're not really into remaking cult classics. They they're they're going for like these blockbuster pieces, right? For the most part, like as culty as it got for the remake, like I don't consider Conan the Barbarian to be a cult classic. Maybe in its era it was, but it surpassed that by today's notoriety. You know what I mean? Right. And and the same thing goes for like Total Recall was a a huge release back in its day. Everyone was lining up in the theaters to go see that. It had a monumental release party and everything. So like these are huge films you've got movies all over the board that are you know that are cult classics in a b-rate format that you know we would love you know to see redone even as people who love those cult classics we would go like man why don't they tackle this movie with with the freedoms that we have and the modern acceptance of all of this expression and everything like that we could really go some push the limit fucking places and and you're right no one's daring to do that to push that envelope yeah and i i I think on the same realm too, like I, I, I think when it comes to superhero movies that have been, you know, plaguing us, um, you know, at least for the last, you know, 12 years on Marvel side, uh, you know, then you got DC coming in trying to do the same thing on the, on their universe side. It, I guess I'm at that point where I don't know why they're trying to find actors and roid them all up. I mean, Ben Affleck looked like, like a, a roided jerk um for you know when he his stint as batman and superman whatever and you know all these actors are, are all roiding up and they're getting jacked to do these roles and they're still not hitting the mass of what these iconic godlike characters are supposed to look like and 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 i'm like Henry Cavill is a, is a pretty jack guy he's six foot something he's a great superman um but he's nowhere near the vicinity of even what Ben Affleck was. We're talking about a guy from another planet that can lift up a plane and stuff. I, I like to think that you're a little more, you're a little bigger than Henry Cavill. <laughs> well, and then the other thing about it is, is like when these people, okay, so like you're going to, you know, you're going to create these characters, but like, why aren't you seeking, like you're, you're taking someone who isn't an action mogul and you're trying to create that out of them. It's like, that's not how it really went back in the day. And this is what made characters so iconic back in the day was that you got a guy who looked the part and played the part, man. You didn't get someone who could play the part and then just rely on his ability to play it really, really well and then cover up what he can with CGI to sell the role. You know what I mean? Plus, I'm going to say this. When you're playing these films, these films are like these cartoony, polished things where they're not showing you like the actual devastation of what's taking place. When these two, you know, when when you've got Juggernaut versus like Colossus, you better be prepared for a whole bunch of violence and carnage right. to ensue, man. And the and the thing of it is, is if we're gonna CGI it anyway, this is what I don't understand. Why make these movies? you know, PG 14 and all of that shit, make them rated R really give everyone what they want to see. Because if you're going to CGI it anyway, you know what parents have never really given a shit about animated violence. Right. We let our fucking kids play all this call of duty Absol and absolutely. every single crazy violent game out there, which are now much more like movies than movies are even movies have turned more into more like video games and video games have turned more into movies. Like they're cut scenes. There's cut scenes in video games that are 30 times better than like 50% yeah, of the movies out there. I guess if you can render, if you can, if we know you can render a face onto an animated um, uh, being, like from Incredible Hulk and 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 uh, Thanos and Marvel movies, if we Look know at the that, Irishman. 
Look at the right, Irishman. Right. If like, we, we, yeah, if, if, you, if we could render that way, I guess the question is, why don't we just render the heroes from whatever artist standpoint we want? Maybe you want your superheroes to be drawn in the style of Alex Ross. And then all you're really doing is you're just getting voice actors, the right voice actors to play the parts. I mean, Kevin Conroy has been doing the Batman voice you know, since the nineties and, 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 and people consider that, you know, the, the echelon of voice actors for that character. So just like Mark you, Hamill as the Joker. Exactly. So why don't you just do that instead of trying to, you know, fit an actual live person who's only really in it for a, a small period of time. The rest is all CGI animated anyway. And some unless people. Part, yeah, it's, it's, it's all CGI right. and stunt people. Right, right. I mean, <laughs> unless you're Tom Cruise um, doing his own stunts, you know, it, it doesn't it doesn't lend itself. Like, I don't care about watching two, you know, rock'em sock'em animated robots go at it. It, it well, doesn't interest me. There's no, there's no, there's no, there's no weight there for me to un- care. Unless you're gonna make these like awesome fight scenes where we get to see people like getting their arms ripped off their bodies and shit like that, which you can do because guess what? You're animating it anyway. And parents apparently don't care about animated violence. So why not just go all out, just make it an animation film and then you can deliver because at the end of the day, the guys who grew up with the comics are in our generation. You know what I mean? In in pre our generation and, and and a couple post our generation. Like it's, it's the comics that we grew up with, like the dark Knight series unto itself. Like that's a graphic novel series. That's that's Batman murdering his, you know, all of his foes. That's what it comes down to, right? So, and then then when they're making the movie, you know what I mean. And I know unpopular opinion here, but Nolan's movie, um, we're not even, you know, we're not even, we're we're expected to believe that a knife in the mouth is a kill shot, and then the camera pans away from it. But then for the last third of the film, a dude's walking around with half his face missing. It's just like yeah, it's, it's kind of hard to believe that you can blow up buildings and and you're having these ma- massive uh, car chases and and, uh, and and Batman hasn't killed anybody. Uh, sure, sure, <laughs> yeah, sure, I mean. sure. Yeah. Like, have you watched Transformers? The whole downtown scenario. We're talking like thousands and thousands of people getting killed in those buildings, and like this is like we're, right. We're well, destroying whole infrastructures of downtown metropolises. Man, come on. Yeah. Uh, okay. So let's go. I'm gonna go a little deeper. Um, is this pen- first, please? <laughs> is this pandemic going to require studios to take a much more concentrated approach to the large scale blockbusters they're accustomed to. I mean, if generating hundreds of millions of dollars is required to create these known blockbusters, um, are we going to see studios going back to smaller budget films, like creating more powerful or hardier movies through script and actual acting prowess than decades before we, we know that studios are not going to be up and running uh, in the, the, it's not back to normalcy in 2021 summertime. Um, we're still going to be doing masks. We're going to be distancing um, people. I think people's habits have changed. I don't think people are are quickly running back to the theater and sitting down and watching all of these blockbusters again. Because of this, do you think this opens up an opportunity for us to reevaluate what what happened with blockbusters and and go back to maybe the way it was in the late seventies, uh, the way Jaws was made? even in the eighties when we were making these blockbusters with a very, with smaller, modest budgets. Well, see, and that's, I think it can go either way. And that's, what's scary about it is it it could be an opportunity 
to go back to a more earnest way of producing and, and um, creating art from an artistic standpoint and taking those risks like, hey, we're going to go f- be the first movie to film out on the open water and use an animatronic shark, like which ended up causing a whole bunch of problems. But that also added to what made the film. It, it, it allowed for these nuances. I mean, for the first hour and a half, the, the shark is nothing more than music. You know what I mean? Like, right. it, it doesn't even appear, but it's it's the it's the tension and the suspense that grips you. And it's that, you know, what's lurking just beneath the surface. So um, that's a good example. But nowadays, they'll probably tell you that to make a film like that's going to cost way more money than it would be to CGI an entire film or an entire bunch of movies. So it creates this little bit where I get nervous, where, okay, so is that where they now look to as being the only option where everything is going to be released out on streaming services and now everything is going to be CGI'd and green screen because they don't have to fly. They don't have to go on to different locations. They don't have to travel to, you know, Tijuana or Honolulu. They can just do everything right at Studio 54 and, you know, downtown Los Angeles. And all they have to do is fly the stars there. Right. You know, is that what becomes the, the quick go-to? Because they've already kind of templated you know, the, these Mick movies, as I call them, like, like I, I get why people like Marvel, but for me, they're Mick movies. They're these mass produced, super plastic, super shiny things. Yeah. What kind of that, collector cup do I get? Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah exactly. Like, I, I got it. Yeah. So it's this Mick movie, this Mick franchise, super shiny. Um, you go in, you see it, you're satisfied within the two hours that you watch it. And then when you're done, you're like, uh, you know, you're in this lethargic state till the next one comes out to the next Mick rib season or to the next, you know, two for one deal with the, with another, you know, Mick sequel. And so I think that they've proven that to be successful with audience, uh, you know, members. And that's, that's the problem because the people who, you know, appreciate, I would say, deeper forms of artistic cinema get left out on these kind of questionnaires and polls to submit their opinion as to what they'd like to see. People are going by box office draw and what the weekend, you know, opening weekend ticket tallies and sales are to go, okay, this is how we have to make a movie because this is what's working for us financially, as opposed to, you know, what's an actual piece that's going to win an Oscar. Like, are we going to see Oscar awards and, and Academy awards for someone's green screen CGI portrayal I, that, you know, they just voiced I th- over? I think I, I, here's what I'd like to see happen, I guess. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm an optimist. What I'd like to see is a reevaluation of of the things that do work and understanding that you don't need $175 million to produce a really good movie. Um, and you use the, you use the um, concept, uh, the film, the Joker as an example, uh, that's not, that, didn't, that does not carrying a, a large price tag in today's um, the way other films are made. Um, you know, it was a, it was like, a, I think a modest 50 million. And I could, I could be wrong. Oh, gee. Yeah. I mean, that's just a chip off the old block. I get what you're saying. Yeah. But of course for, for, you know, I feel like a big part of that, it comes down to these actors' salaries too, man. I mean, what people are are getting paid per film, you've now, like the studio has no choice but to ensure that every movie they make is a fucking Grand Slam blockbuster. blockbuster, Because that's the only way they can make money when you're paying like five people, you know, eight mil a piece, man. Like, and that's that's before you're paying all the other people. Like so much goes into a film. There's so many people involved and all those people make good money. But there's no studios, but there's no studios for it anymore. And that's, and and that's like, you're right. And, And actors take on that, a huge, you know, part of that bloated cost. 
and it's same with like you said it's special effects and stuff but the reality is is that i mean they're not operating in in the foreseeable future true so 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 will they're they, gonna have will to they reevaluate. Will they, will uh, they humble yeah. themselves and like? Because here, here's the thing: like these people have already made a bunch of money. Like when you've got people like you know, I, I hate it when I hear people like talk about these celebrities and like, well, they got to pay their bills. Well, maybe don't buy six castles and eighteen mansions, and then you know, worry about <laughs> having to pay your fucking property taxes. Like, you know, yeah. And then yeah, and then I, don't expect me to give a shit about that either. Like I, I like I've got fucking rent and groceries that I got to worry about for myself. You've got fucking eighteen houses that are all worth a million dollars. Shut the fuck up. You know, don't don't tell me about how you know. Like like I get it. Like you, if you're an artist and you want to keep working, so you're just banging out shitty movies like you know Mr. Nicholas Cage's. That's totally fine. Like he he's recognized that he like everyone thinks that it's a financial crisis for him. He's like, no, I'm still worth twenty five million dollars. It's not the hundred and fifty I used to be worth, but I have like six castles and eight mansions, and I'm still worth twenty five million dollars. And I just like making movies because I like yeah, to work, and, you know. And, yeah, and I think it's going to require some a- actors to reevaluate uh, what's the Im- importance for the work they want to do. I think they're going to have to maybe restructure themselves and go. You know what? Uh, I mean, take a page wanted- out of Nicolas Cage's book, man. Right? Like, yeah, like or maybe maybe. Maybe I'm going to have to go on Disney Plus and do a streaming movie, um, it, it, you know, and kind of operate that way. I guess, uh, you know, for me, I, I'm, I'm optimistic in the sense that I, I, I like to think that we, we both know that, uh, you know, quantity of money does not equal quality of, of, of movie. Um, there's lots of movies um, with don't very little dare, budget. Don't you dare talk about Waterworld. In any kind of <laughs> don't you dare. No, hey, we're not going to bring up Waterworld again. <laughs> um, no, it, you just uh, you know, I'd like to, I'd like to see. I'd like to hope um, that we go back to a little bit of restructuring, so we're not bombarded with the same inane and basically uh, over overdrawn movies that we've seen in the last like 20, 35 years. Well, I, I would like to just bring up one final point sure, yeah. and to speak to that, which would be, you know, I think that we also as an audience have to reevaluate our expectations and expect a little bit more when it comes to the artistry and films that we want to see. Right. So these, these people that are contributing to these, you know, oh, well, we're just giving the people what they want, which has led to all these, re, you know, duplications and recycled and reduplications. Like how many Hulk films have been made with no one that looks like a Hulk at all? Why aren't you getting Agnes von Magnuson or some, you know, some, you know, get the, get the, you know, the mountain in there somebody who actually looks like a hulking figure you know what i mean but like my, my point is is that we've come to accept these mick movies and that's all we're gonna mick fucking get if that's what right. they if they're like oh this is the cure we've got we found out how to feed the starving animals and we can keep them at bay from gnashing their teeth to force us to create better fucking quality films so if we as an audience, you know, up our up our expectations a little bit, up our up our, you know, movie IQ, because we do deserve better. The only reason why these these millionaires are worth any money is because of us. Right. We, we buy those tickets that Absol- add to ab- all those millions. Right. Absolutely. I mean, and you, you nailed it. Um, the reality is, I mean, you know, we get shit because we accept shit and, and, and people still will line up for the you know, 12th Fast and the Furious movie, whatever the fucking number they're at now. Um, and and we know that, and they're just going to, they'll, they'll see it all the way through until it's fucking dead. And then, and then it, they spin off into all these other things like Hobbs and Shaw, these, you know, spin off side projects of, of, of a umbrella of a franchise. It's, it's, it, you're right. We, we accept mediocrity and, and that's exactly the kind of movies we end up getting. 
So, exactly. so right. if, we, if we up our expectations, demand a little bit more, and then show the appreciation to films that deserve it. There's tons of indie films out there that get swept under the rug that are that are masterpieces. And and, Absolutely. Then, and and I swear to you, it's simply because people are unaware of them. It's not because they you know they wouldn't be intrigued by a trailer or the premise. It's simply because it's not being distributed the same way as Mick movies are. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, yeah. They they get they get lost in the tsunami of blockbuster movies and and multiplexes. You know, there's lots of uh, small little uh, movie theaters out there and everybody's uh, hometown um, that, you know, show little more art house films or show something that that usually gets, um, you know, pushed to the wayside because you have to make room for, you know, Vin Diesel. So, you know, exactly. Like I remember watching Snatch for the first time in in this little place called Broadway Theater. And it's this tiny little theater versus like it's not a cineplex. It's not a you know, it's not like this huge place like that. And then that was kind of when Guy Ritchie had kind of breached the, you know, the, the, the path into, you know, North America with his filmmaking. And then it was after that movie was so well, well received that it did really big on video in, 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 you know, in Canada and the United States. And, and that generated, you know, this, this other kind of following. And that's what, but you know, what was, what was in the bigger theaters at the time that that movie I had to go see in a smaller theater that ended up becoming what it was, you know what I mean? Like what overshadowed yeah. it? Vanilla sky, like fucking vanilla sky was in the like, theater, but that was it, you know, like, do you remember like back in the, like in the era when VHS and you could rent movies uh, for all you young fuckings out there? Um, you know, it's interesting. Do you remember the movie FX with Brian Brown and Brian Dennehy? I absolutely uh, love they had, they had they made a sequel to that. I remember the, 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 con- the controlled fighting clown that he had. Yeah, it so was amazing. Right. So that movie. It was a TV uh, series it, as well. Or was it a TV right, series they, prior? Yeah, they made, it, they made a TV show after the fact. Uh, no, and and that, Brian. What was the other guy's name? Brian, Brian Brown. Brian yes, Brown. Yeah, he was, he was the, actually he was in a, it. Yeah, that's right. So Brian Brown, uh, he was also in the movie Cocktail, if anybody wants to remember Tom Cruise in 86. Um, interesting thing is that. I always thought you know, that was Michael Caine with brown hair. <laughs> that's an easy mistake. That's an easy mistake. Um, you know, when FX came out, the, the movie um, where he plays um, a movie special effects artist and he's been hired by the government to fake an assassination on a political figure. What we'll is quickly now that movie came out and it basically did nothing at the box office. It went straight to video, but because of video and that and how popular it, it got through video release and, and word of mouth, it, they ultimately ended up making a sequel to it because they found that they, they made a lot of money and you just don't, you don't see that often enough anymore. No, you don't. And that's, that's why, you know, the death of a video and DVD, you know, sucked. And like, that right. was, that was a painful one. I worked at like VHQ and Blockbuster for like years, man. And like, that was a whole experience because when you leave your house and you drive somewhere and you've walked into this environment and you've got this massive selection, you've taken your time to go up and down the aisles and peruse all these titles, you're going to be a little bit more choosy and selective. You know, there's, of course, there's those moments when you're with the kids. It's like, all right, just hurry up and pick something because you got to go home and get dinner. But when you've already handled that, you know, hustle and bustle and you're out, it's Friday and it's like you're picking something to relax with. You're going to be choosy. 
and, and you know you, you've gone out of your way you've taken the effort you, you're making a night of this now we've just got it where you don't have to leave the fucking couch well so you'll you'll watch almost anything because you've watched everything and that just happens to be there and it's one click away you well know? the problem is is you also miss out on finding a hidden gem the problem is is that because we don't have those services anymore you don't stumble upon things that you used to right that's and right like those, it, those those hidden b-rate movies that are just like wow this is awesome right right, right. yeah no absolutely um all right now it's time for our new segment time to take the truth serum shut, shut up, up and sit down, down. here's the truth Stop copying and pasting ideas you see on Facebook that suggest you not post your personal Christmas pictures of presents under the tree because people this year have been hit hard from the pandemic. Some lost jobs. Some struggled to meet monthly rent. So this year, let's not use social media as the means to brag about your life. Truth. People have been struggling to, to make ends meet since the dawn of time, and you didn't concern yourself years ago posting your personal life on Facebook. And nor should you. Adults require coping mechanisms. If logging onto Facebook triggers you because your friend's tree is more plentiful than yours, maybe the outside world isn't for you. Facebook, like it's always been, isn't grounded in reality. Not every picture you see tells an authentic story. Live your life. Take those photos of your shitty kids opening up crap that they'll forget about in three weeks. And don't worry that someone else needs a virtual hug. If the concern is real, get yourself off of Facebook and into a soup kitchen this winter. Here's the truth. For all you people out there who call mask wearers sheep and you go to these anti-mask rallies and you seem to flaunt these numbers and statistic as low and minimally impactful, do you not think that the rest of us who have to wear these masks and can't see our loved ones and had our livelihoods stripped away from us, do you not think that we're a little sick of this shit too? But here's the problem. We're actually making and taking the time to put in the effort to work united to stem a global pandemic. While the rest of you selfishly and petulantly act like fucking tiny kids whose egos are being deflated and their personal freedoms are being eroded by simply asking to play nice with others. When you say most people don't die from it, what you sound like is thousands of people who die from COVID-19 every week are insignificant to me. When you say we have to get back to our normal lives, what you're actually saying is the response to a global pandemic should be tailored to my tolerance for inconvenience, regardless of other people's safety. When you say oh, I don't live in fear. What you're actually saying is, I'm willing to endanger people around me to prove how brave I am. And lastly, when you say keeping me at home is a violation of my freedom, you're actually saying the most pressing injustice right now is my inconvenience and not people getting sick and dying. Here's the truth. Now that Kyle Rittenhouse has posted two million in bail, let's not change the narrative of who he actually is. A murderer. This kid drove from another state with an illegal weapon to arrive at a Black Lives Matter protest to incite violence. Remember the days when a lone gunman could enter a school, a pizza joint, or a Las Vegas hotel, and we took it upon as universal that they were the threat? Let's still assume that. No one deputized, authorized, or murdered his family in a Gotham alley to appoint him as the just warrior. You don't get to go and change the narrative now. When people arrive with weapons at any event, let's not wait to see his intentions. History has shown it never goes well. Rittenhouse shot two people dead when they attempted to disarm him. One threw a plastic bag at Rittenhouse. His plan was nefarious and acted out in the same manner. Don't change the narrative that arriving at a protest with a gun is noble. While Colin Kaepernick made his point with a silent protest, 
and was shunned. Here's a truth. Facebook is not a credible form of media news reporting. When did Facebook become reality? Do you remember when Facebook first started and we all took it as this big joke and it was nothing serious and it was a ha-ha, funny pictures, funny memes, funny this, funny that, humor? When did it become children who are preteen going on Facebook Live and killing themselves? When did it become posting your extremism and your political views to incite combat on an internet forum where you feel comfortable in exchanging discrepancies with others because you feel proud to do so. Yet in real life, you would shy away from any form of kind of that kind of in-person debate or conflict as you would like to incite. When did Facebook become something that we hold in a regard as CTV News or CBC News or Fox News or any other kind of news media broadcaster, whether it be CNN or MSNBC? When did Facebook become something that we look to for answers to questions within our daily lives? It's a farce. It's a it's a farce page, people. This is not something that is a political forum. This is not a platform in which to debate and create further divide. Why has the Solomon Islands decided to ban Facebook for the sake of national unity? It's because they've actually acknowledged something that the rest of the world should acknowledge too. Facebook is a toxic cesspool of shit. Get off of it. And finally, here's the truth. Given that since the start of the COVID-19 pandemic, Canadian billionaires are $37 billion richer while the most vulnerable are struggling, the host called upon the government to put in place a new 1% tax on the wealth, over $20 million, and an excess profit tax on big corporations that have profited from this pandemic to reinvest into struggling Canadians. Things like expanding income security programs to ensure all individuals residing in Canada have a guaranteed livable basic income. Expanding health care, which means a national dental care program, and funding a right to housing plan with a for Indigenous, by Indigenous, urban, rural, and northern housing strategy delivered by Indigenous housing providers. I, I know small independent businesses, some friends of mine who don't even know if they have a restaurant to open up tomorrow or if they can even meet their own rent or mortgage. So it's, of course, no surprise that during the season of giving, it was thrown down in a 27 yay to 292 nay majority. Not shocking, 145 were liberal, 117 conservative. Only 26 yays between the NDP and Green Party. So while good Canadians continue to brave the winds and still show up to put food on all our tables, let's not forget that maybe the reasons these guys encourage all of us to wear the mask, it allows them to hide their identity. All right, that's our show. I want to thank Neil Guevara and his always insightful opinions and hope he joins me again this week for Be Kind, Please Rewind. Absolutely, you bet. Yeah, yeah. Remember to hear us on SoundCloud and click that repost button. Okay, thanks everybody. This has been The President's Neck is Missing, your quasi-intellectual guide through today's modern world. Catch these idiots once again in our next episode.